CLNS's Patriots coverage is powered by our exclusive wagering partners at betonline.ag. Use the promo code CLNS50 for 50% off your initial deposit. Hello, everybody. Evan Lazar, Alex Barth, Patriots Beat Tuesday show edition here. And Alex, as we talked about on Thursday last week, we are going to preview each side of the ball as we head into training camp. I can't believe that we're almost at training camp, Alex, but we're only two weeks out at this point. So we're almost there. We've almost made it through the summer and the dog days of the offseason and into training camp. So this week, we're going to look at the defensive side of the ball. Next week, we're going to preview the offense, and then we'll give you uh, a couple more storylines as we head into training camp the following week as well. But before we get into, I have a, a long list of players and names and scenarios that I want to hit on here today, Alex. But before we get into all of this, I think the craziest thing about this defense, and I'm jacked up to see the Patriots defense this year, I think everybody is, is coming up with different combinations of which 11 guys you're actually going to put on the field at one time. They can only play 11 of these guys, right? And especially in the front seven, it just feels like they have so many permutations and so many combinations of players. And when people ask me all the time, who's your starting 11 on defense? That's a really difficult question to answer. And that's a great question. To, it's great that it's difficult, but it's it's truly difficult to answer right now who is going to play where and how much and, and who's going to play uh, at that linebacker position in particular. It's such a deep group in the front seven that it's going to be a whole lot of mixing and matching. Yeah, I'll say, and I've said this about the running backs before, and I'm sure I'll say it again, but I think it might apply to to that front seven group as well, Evan. When we when we were asked a couple of weeks ago, you know, who's RB1 between Sony Michelle and Damon Harris, yeah. who's the top running back? And I said, well, it's not necessarily about the percentage of it's not necessarily about the percentage of snaps they get, right? Because they'll probably manage, you know, use both to keep each other healthy, not overload either one. It's about the situations they're getting those reps in. I think you can say the same about the pass rush. Who's the starting outside linebackers? Who's the starting edge defenders? You know, it, Matt, uh, Matt Judon, Kyle Vannoy will probably play more snaps than the other guys, but I don't think at least early in the season, they'll play, you know, a significantly higher number of snaps than a guy like Josh Uche or maybe even Chase Winovich. The question is, if you want to talk about, you know, when I hear who's the starting defense, who are the top linebackers? I'm not thinking about who's playing the most. I'm thinking about who's playing on third and five, who's playing in the fourth quarter, right? Who's right. playing in those need to have it situations. I think that for now, Right. When we haven't seen them line up, we haven't seen them in practice. The best way to kind of frame these starting conversations isn't about who plays the most or who's on the field at the beginning of the game. It's who's on the field for the most crucial plays. Who do they trust the most to make the plays when the plays need to be made? Right. Down to down, matchup to matchup, game to game. Like all these things are going to change because in some games they might be playing a team that's, you know, Kyle Shanahan-esque and very heavy on the outside zone. And they're going to want Judon and Van Noy and Hightower and those heavy footed, uh, heavy handed, excuse me, edge setters out there to be able to set the edge against those outside toss plays and things like that. But then maybe they play a game where the team is more finesse and they might want some more athleticism out there on the outside. Maybe it's uh, Baltimore who they really wanted to put to, you know, guys like 
Duggar and, and uh, Winovich played in line, you know, and off the line of scrimmage in right. that game a whole lot so they could get Duggar and Phillips at outside linebacker to get more athletes out there to contain Lamar, you know, stuff like that. So they have all these different options. And, you know, Bill Belichick's loving that, that they can go game plan to game plan of what's the best way to use this guy? What's the best way to use that guy? Is this a new J week or is this more of a Van Noy Judon week? And, you know, so on and so forth. I, well, the, the perfect example of that, Kyle Vin, uh, not Kyle Vin, or sorry, Chase Winovich last year yeah. had four or five games where he was getting, you know, he's playing about 15% of the time as a third down pass rusher. And then all of a sudden they get to Baltimore and he's an early down middle linebacker. They are, have always been, this is a hallmark under Belichick. They like to be a game plan team as a whole, but especially on the defensive side of the ball, they do not like to have tendencies. They do not like to have, you know, things that they fall back on. They like to be a game plan play-to-play situation-specific uh, defense, which is part of what makes them so effective. You can have all the talent in the world. If you can only do a couple of things with that talent, you get predictable. It limits you. One of the biggest assets to this Patriots defense this year, and they're incredibly talented. I don't want to take away from that. But their unpredictability, how unpredictable they'll be able to be, and how yeah. many different looks they'll be able to give with that talent they have is only going to enhance the talent they brought in versatility you know bill belichick loves yep. that having versatile players flexible players flexible game plans morphing week to week this is a bill belichick type of defense i want to start on the line of scrimmage we've talked so much about the stefan gilmore situation we are going to touch on that when we get to the cornerbacks but i want to start on the line of scrimmage and then work our way backwards into the secondary so let's start with the defensive lineman and the interior of the defensive lineman in particular what about Christian Barmore's role? Because this is, I think, going to be an interesting thing to monitor in training camp is how quickly Christian Barmore is grasping things and how much of a role he's going to have this season as a rookie. Is he only going to be a situational player? We've talked so much about him sort of being in that Adam Butler, early career Adam Butler role where he's kind of coming in on third down, second and longs, pass rush situations, and rushing the passer. But are we going to see Barmore even in year one, expanded into even more because right away he's going to be one of the most athletic and one of the most physically talented D linemen that they have. Yeah, and it's nice because they they have a role to slide him into right away without overworking him. And right, right, and that's Adam Butler's old role right. as the the interior pass rush specialist. And I don't think that will be his whole role his entire tenure in New England. It shouldn't be, but that's where he's going to be to start. And then he can grow from there. And if he succeeds in that role, maybe you start seeing him on early downs once we get into late October, early November, things like that. But initially, I think his role is going to be as a pass rusher. They're, they're, they're going to need him because I don't know, you know, who's the second interior pass rusher on this team. And I know that that's a niche role, but Bill Belichick talks about having depth at every spot. Who's the second interior pass rusher? Is it Byron Cowart? You know, he's not necessarily a roster lock. Right. Are you moving Lawrence Guy inside on those situations? You could, but that's probably not the best use for him. So, you know, is it Chase Winovich? Some people have floated that he could potentially fill that role as he's going to have to have be able to play multiple positions. But right now, I think that's Christian Barmore's spot, and I think it's a spot where he can succeed. Right, so you have him on the inside, maybe over the nose tackle or shaded into the A-gap. And you also don't forget about Dietrich Wise, right? I think that those two guys are going to play a lot in pass rush situations. What I'm really interested to see, and I, I've kind of been saying this since they drafted him, is 
can Barmore become that 3-4 defensive end, right? Can he be uh, a Richard Seymour type? And I'm not saying he's going to be as good as Seymour, but can he play 3-4 end in base defense on first and second down and then kick inside to nose tackle or, or rush pass rushing DT as a penetrator on third downs? That's how you become a three-down player and the type of skill set that Christian Barmore has. I don't know, like you said, from a mental standpoint, even from a physical or technique standpoint, is he going to be ready to do that right away? Probably not, but that I think is the goal is down the line, he can be that 3-4 end on first down. Then when you get into second and long, third down, pass rush situations, that's when he kicks more inside and rushes over the center or rushes shaded in the A-gap like Adam Butler did for all of those years. But they tried to get Adam Butler, especially last year when they were thin on the D-line, they tried to develop him into a 3-4 end, right? Especially on the weak right. side of the formation opposite of Lawrence Guy because they really needed to fill that spot. And – it was hit or miss. Some games he had that big game against Arizona where he played really well in that role. But in a lot of those games, he also got pushed around a little bit. So Barmore has that ability. And I think that's the next step for him and his maturation as a player in general, just watching his tape at Bama as you see streaks of really good run defense, whether it's, penetrating the line of scrimmage or two gapping. And you see those in spurts, you see the upper body power to be an effective two gapper, but he's got to play with better feet and he's got to play with better discipline. And then, you know, kind of develop that technique as a two gapper to be able to be a base three, four end for the Patriots. Like they're going to want to use him long-term, but I'm really excited to see what he brings to the table. Cause in minicamp, he was already getting after the quarterbacks as a, a pass rusher in a seven on or 11 on 11s, excuse me. So it was, it was our you could already see the pass rushing stuff coming together for him early on in June so I think he's really going to excel especially in some of these joint practices that the Patriots are going to have announcing today with the Eagles they're supposed to have one I think with the Giants too maybe later on in training camp Uh, so it's going to be really fun to see Barmore go up against some of those other opponents where he's really going to kind of pin the ears back and get after the QB a little bit yeah he's going to be and you know we've talked about this where you know what depending on what happens with mac jones and and whether or not we'll see him week one and how early we'll see him i think Baltimore is the guy we'll see right away and he may end up if they end up waiting on jones Barmore has probably the best chance to be the face of this rookie class in the 2021 season it's going to be jones eventually but again if he doesn't play right away you know I, I think we've talked about this. Perkins is probably more of a developmental player, Ronnie Perkins. Ramondre right. Stevenson, we know about their history with running back. So if there's going to be a rookie right out of the gate, I think who makes an impact, it's Christian Barmore. I agree 100%. All right. Uh, we we don't want to forget about Dietrich Wise. I feel like when, there's not a whole lot of conversations about Dietrich Wise because we kind of know who he is. They gave him that big contract, though, right? And and, and right. with that contract, they made it very clear that he's a part of this team moving forward, whereas some other guys like Adam Butler, for instance, they didn't offer him that same type of lucrative deal. So what's the plan with Dietrich Wise? Because obviously they have a plan, unless they wouldn't have given him that contract. Yeah, I, I think it's to use him more like they used him last year, right? Going into last season, there's a lot of talk about how he put on that weight and what yeah. kind of difference that would make. And it clearly helps him be more of an edge setter. I wonder if they view him long-term as the replacement for Lawrence Guy, as to essentially do what Lawrence Guy is doing right now. And there's certainly a role he can fill in the interim where, you know, he can be impactful. But now that he has weight on, he's he's more, you know, he's built more like Guy. You see his skill set start to tailor more that way. He's talked about, uh, um, sorry, Wise has how much he's learned from Guy. 
I wonder if that's the eventual plan. But you know what? He came out last year. He played the third most snaps of any defensive lineman. He had a career year. I thought he absolutely earned that contract. I know some people were hesitant of it. but And people will point to, why'd you pay him when he was one of their most used defensive linemen last year? And they allowed all those yards against the run. They were one of the worst run defending teams in football. Right. He was probably asked to do too much last year. I, With all the injuries, he was put in a place where he couldn't succeed. I think now that they have all this other talent and they bring in Henry Anderson, Devon Godshaw, uh, you know, guys like that, Christian Barmore, they can put wise where they need him, which is you put him out there on early downs against the run, and you know he's going to be able to set you the edge more often than not. It's a good role for him. It's harder than it looks, as we saw last year. You can't just throw anybody out there and expect him to set the edge. And Wise does bring a little bit of a pass rush uh, 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 toolbox to his game as well. Sometimes you see these pure run-stopping edge setters that are built like Wise is, but we saw last year. If he needs to, he can get after the quarterback. Yeah, I think he's a more effective pass rusher than he is a run stopper because as a run stopper, he plays too high sometimes. And I, I know he's talked a lot about working on his technique and using his length. He's six foot six. He's a big dude. Like he's a very tall, long guy. And he didn't always unlock those arms and use his length to his advantage, especially if you're two gapping. If you can be the lower man, if you can anchor and then you can separate with, with your arms, he should be, he has the body type to be a very effective two-gapper if his technique is sound. But too many times early on in his career, he's just struggled with the technique aspect of it, block anticipation, timing, that sort of thing. He's a very effective pass rusher, though. He's consistently among the league leaders in sort of like pressures per snap and pressure percentage and those types of stats. So I think he's going to be somebody that's going to factor in a lot more than maybe people think, because we're talking about all the new guys on the defensive line, but they clearly have a plan for Dietrich wise. And they also clearly have a plan for Devon Godshaw and Henry Anderson. And my question here with those two guys, because I think we, we know now, we broke so much of it down during free agency, what those guys bring to the table, right? Gotcha, right. your traditional nose tackle, Anderson, a 3-4 defensive end. But who do you think, Alex, will have the bigger impact on this defense this season? Between who again? Or, or God, just in general? Gotcha and Anderson. That's a tough one. Right? I, I mean, a Anderson had a great spring. He did. But when the Patriots get a good nose tackle, you know it. And those guys... You, so... I think Anderson will have the more visual impact. Let me kind of sidestep your question here. I yeah. think Anderson will have the more visual impact. I think people will get really excited about him. He'll make some flashy plays. You'll see him in the backfield a lot. I, I think we're going to get to week four or five, and people are going to say, you know, we haven't really heard much about Devon Godshaw, but that's a good thing. The position he's playing, you don't necessarily want to hear his name a ton. He's there mostly to get in the way and set up other people to make plays. He talked about it in, in his introductory press conference with the yeah. Patriots, how – you know, he he thinks that the defensive tackle position is maybe undervalued around the league, but Patriots fans know it because they watch, watch Vince Wilfork. So I think Godshaw will make his impact, but he'll make it kind of under the radar. I think Henry Anderson's a guy who's going to flash early on. Yeah, I think Henry Anderson has a chance to sort of be, I don't think he'll be as, as decorated as Lawrence Guy, who is a 
player of the decade for the Patriots, right, on the all-decade team for, for right. New England. But I think Henry Anderson has a chance to be sort of that technician, that veteran, that guy that understands leverage and technique and all those fancy words and is able to really be an effective player. But Godshaw is what they missed last year. Having a true nose tackle that can eat up blocks, that can reset the line of scrimmage, control the point of attack, was something that they really searched for all year long. Like They, they even went to the lengths of getting guys like Carl Davis and, and people like that involved trying to find a nose tackle. They lose Danny Shelton in free agency. That ended up having paid big dividends. Devon Gaucha, I think, is going to be a really, really good player for them and somebody that's going to have a key role. And like you said, he might not show up so much in the stat sheet. He might not necessarily flash as much as other players. But if guys like Hightower and Uche and Duggar, if those guys are flying around the ball and flying around the line of scrimmage and accumulating tackles for loss and stuff like that, you're going to watch those plays back on the tape and you're going to see Devon Godshaw probably taking on a double team or eating up the, the climbing guard or doing something to free up those other guys to go ahead and make a play. And that, that's really where you're going to see his impact. And I'm really uh, looking forward to seeing this defense, this Bill Belichick 3-4, back with a, a true nose tackle that is a professional at that spot. You know, a guy that can really right. get the job done there. That they always have needed, whether it's on a level of Vince Wilfork or even coming down pegs to guys like Alan Branch or, or uh, you know, obviously Danny Shelton after that. Those guys have always been huge, huge parts of this run defense and of this defense as a whole because the the playmakers are there at the linebacker level in Bill Belichick's defense. The defensive linemen are, are there to plug gaps, hold up linemen, eat blockers, occupy guys, stuff like that. The playmakers are Hightower, Uche, Duggar, you know, uh, Joe, Judon and Van Noy. You know, those are the guys that are going to rack up the pressures and, and the tackles for loss and the stops and all that kind of stuff. So I hope that Godshaw unlocks them to be able to do that a little bit more. Because last year, I, I can't tell you how many times – linemen reach the second level or the third level of the Patriots defense and, and eclipse those linebackers and how often those linebackers were getting blocked five, six yards down the field. That can't happen consistently if you're going to run a, an effective two-gapping system. So that that's going to be a really big a big thing for the Patriots. Really quickly, Montrevis Adams, Byron Coward, Akeem Spence, you know, this this other this group of of guys that are are probably more or less long shots to make the roster. But do you like any of the, those guys to make the team or make a little bit of a splash here? I've liked Coward just because he has a really unique makeup. And I think he's a guy who could thrive in the type of defense they're similar. They seem to be building a former top high school recruit was a 255 pound stand-up pass rusher goes to Auburn, puts on 40 pounds, becomes a defensive tackle. So, you know, obviously kind of a unique path for him to, to getting to the NFL, which means he has a unique yeah. skill set. I, I'd like to see them keep him because I think, you know, he's now entering year three and this is where you could really see him make the jump. And I thought he definitely showed some promise last year at the end of the day, it becomes a numbers crunch. If they can't keep him, I get it. But you know, if I'm trying to keep somebody from that group, if I'm angling to keep somebody from that group, it's definitely coward. Yeah, I, I think they like Montrevious Adams a little bit. I mean, he's a guy that they targeted in free agency. They didn't give him a whole lot of money, and they can obviously get out of the contract, no problem. But I think they do ha have something that they like about him. And, and Byron Coward, though, too, I, I've always thought that, especially in training camp and preseason, he seems to flash every single year with just – 
raw get off and, and kind of just uh, quickness off the ball. And you sort of see that pop every single year. And, and you'd like to see the rest of his game kind of round out and maybe have that all come together for him. Uh, as we continue on the line of scrimmage, just moving outside to those outside linebackers and the edge defenders, I think one of the biggest things going forward about this team is Chase Winovich and his future and his role. So let's start there. We'll get into some of the other guys too, but with Chase Winovich, is he on the team? Is he a potential guy that they might look to trade at the end of training camp? Is he someone that maybe what's the future hold for Chase, I guess is the best way to put it. I it's, it's going to be about, positional versatility for him. If he's only playing defense, you know, defensive end, outside linebacker, edge, whatever. Yeah. I don't know that that's going to be enough for him to make the roster. I think he's going to have to play defensive end. He's going to have to play stand up outside linebacker. I'd, I'd like to see him back at middle linebacker after that game he had last year where he was so good against Baltimore. I, you know, he doesn't need to play a ton there, but if you know he can play there, it makes him that much more valuable because it adds depth. Playing on special teams is obviously something he's going to need to do. I don't think the Patriots are ready to give up on him just yet. I think if they were, they would have already done it. Uh, you know, they they had that little bit of a uh, of a cap crunch there, and they could have moved him, and that would have helped. But he's going to need to show he can play all over the defense. I think playing every spot in the front seven is the key. Even if he's playing interior and in like obvious pass rushing situations, you know, when you get into third and fifteens, things like that, even hail mary situations, I wouldn't hate seeing him in that spot. I don't know if he can do it. He's shown me enough that I'd like to see him try. So yeah. I, you know, if you. I'm going to cross sports here and I know you're not supposed to do that, but you know, look at how valuable a guy like Brock Holt was for the Red Sox when he was here. It's not that he was this amazing player, but he could play everywhere and there's inherent value in that. It's almost like could Chase Winovich be the Brock Holt of the Patriots front seven, where if somebody needs a breather or if some, you know, one reason or another, you need to take somebody out. You just have Chase Winovich that you can plug in wherever on the front seven to give you a couple snaps. I think that that, you know, that is ideally his role and I think he could fit that role. I think there's reps there for Chase Winovich to play inside linebacker. And that's always sort of been to me because he's a very, very effective pass rusher. He's been an effective pass rusher from his rookie year on in the NFL. He's gotten after the quarterback just fine. He's got great speed off the edge. He's got great snap timing to jump the snap and, and turn the corner. He's got flexibility out there to bend. He can get after the quarterback. He's been one of the Patriots' most effective per snap pass rushers, and even overall last year, over the last couple of years since they drafted him. So we know we can rush the quarterback. The problem for him playing out on the edge has always been setting it, right? He just isn't an edge setter. He's a guy that wants to get vertical. He wants to get up the field. He's not an edge setter. He was 240, 245 when he came in. I, I know Mike Reese had that report earlier in the offseason that he's spoke to Rob Ninkovich, uh, Chase Winovich did, spoke to Rob Ninkovich, sat down with Ninko, said, what can I do to, to stick here, right? Like, what can, what can I do to, to be a, a full-time player here? And Ninkovich's recommendation was to bulk up, right, and, and get bigger, put on some weight so that he can set the edge more effectively. And Winovich has done that by all accounts, and, and Reese had that report a few months ago that he that, that was the focus of his offseason. I, I, I guess I can kind of see where they're coming from there, but – with Judon in the fold and Van Noy in the fold and Jennings and Ronnie Perkins as re recent draft picks that are going to be playing out on the edge. It just feels to me like being athletic, flying to the football, 
all the things that popped for Chase Winovich right when he got here as a rookie in that rookie in that rookie training camp in that rookie preseason. The most effective thing about him is his athleticism and the fact that he plays with his hair on fire, right? And and that those things are great about him. So to bulk him up and get him to 255, 260 and slow him down, I don't know. To me, moving him off the line of scrimmage having him play inside linebacker like he did in that Baltimore game because they threw him in the middle of the season into a role that he had never played before. And he played it more or less pretty effectively. There were some times where he was susceptible to cutbacks and things like that. But for the most part, he played it pretty effectively. Now imagine a whole offseason, a whole training camp of learning that role he's going to be even better, right? You know, he's going to be even more effective. So first and second down, it's similar to what I think they'll they'll try to do with Uche is first and second down, you play him at inside linebacker off the line of scrimmage. And then on third down in obvious passing situations, he's in those pass rush packages. And I, I feel like that's what Chase Winovich's best route is. The problem is, and we're going to get to Uche in a second, is that that's also Uche's best way to, to play, right? And that's also the way that they're probably going to use Uche. So then how they're, those two guys really start to overlap and start to compete for snaps. What about Anthony Jennings? Does anybody think Anthony like is he going to be on this team? Does he have a role? Is he is he going to be able to? Last year obviously was not pretty for him as a rookie. He did basically nothing to pop. Duggar, Uche, even Devin Asiasi later on in the season. Obviously, we know about on Wenu. Like all these guys in that of that rookie class use the opportunity of having such little depth to, to kind of pop and, and kind of show us something. But Jennings was the total opposite, just somebody that was sort of out there when he was out there. Yeah, I actually still really like Anthony Jennings. And he wouldn't be the first player to come into New England, have a disappointing rookie season, and then figure it out and put things together and have a long career here. So the stat I always bring up with Jennings is – he was on that incredibly talented 2019 Alabama defense, right? NFL yeah. starters across the board. And you look at, excuse me, you look at who was in that secondary, right? From, you know, Sertan, a number of guys who went on to have success in the NFL. Guess who had the most broken up passes on that defense? Anthony Jennings. He's yeah. a menace on the line of scrimmage when it comes to getting in passing lanes. That's something that Bill Belichick loves and he values tremendously I don't think they're going to give up on Anthony Anthony Jennings just yet. He can play special teams. They can find other roles for him in the meantime. I think they're going to give him another year to try to develop. And I think they should because he was an incredibly talented player at Alabama. He still is. I don't think he played poorly last year. He just didn't play from what we saw. We don't know what was going on behind closed doors at practice, but I don't know that I saw anything last year where I was like, oh, this guy doesn't belong on an NFL field. We just didn't see him a ton. So, you know, I'd be cautious with him. I'd give him time. I think, or sorry, not cautious. I'd be patient with him. Give him time. I think he, he, he deserves another year. He had that big injury in college. Right. And, and he didn't, right. It didn't, I don't know if he necessarily looked like the same player after the injury as before the injury. And he lost maybe a step of that, half a step of that of explosiveness that he had early on in his career at Alabama. He was one of their best defenders, right? He was a guy that looked like he might be like a top 50 pick in the draft someday. He has that big injury. I, I agree that, that I, I don't know. It's tough to fit all of these second year guys on the team, right? Like right. Jennings, Dalton Keene, some of these, someone's but, not going to make it. So right? you asked before, right, about that interior defensive line group of Montrevious Adams and, yeah. and Byron Coward and those guys. These that, guys definitely, 
right. I would take these guys over them. I would take a Jennings probably right. over Montrevious Adams. Exactly. Yeah. That's where I'm looking at. Let's, you know, that that's a spot I'd rather give to Anthony Jennings because again, I, I still think the upside's there. I still think he can play be the player he was. It was a so he tore his PCL and then he had complications from yeah. the surgery where he had a blood clot in his leg and it is gross. But yeah, a lot of yeah, it was a bad injury. Right. He he last year was essentially two years removed. So I I'm still willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. I think that he has he he still has the ability to bounce back from that. If I remember correctly, he almost had to retire in college. Like he almost had yeah. to hang it no, up. He almost lost his leg. Yeah, yeah, it was it was really ugly. So uh, yeah, I, I could see this one being a slow play thing. Uh, what about Ronnie Perkins? Because we talked to him during train a uh, mini camp in June. And you could tell he was he was kind of like I don't even I asked him a question about him playing you know DN versus outside linebacker he's like I'm not even there yet like I'm just trying I'm just trying to learn the playbook so I feel like like most rookies with the Patriots this could be a very slow burn for Ronnie Perkins who is going from a role at OU as a four three defensive end that played a ton for the Sooners with his hand in the dirt. That was his primary responsibility was to rush the passer and uh, be effective against the run as a penetrator with his hand in the dirt. The Patriots are going to ask him to stand up. It's similarly to a, the transition of what Chase Winovich did from the Michigan defense to the Patriots defense, but with less carryover in terms of technique and terminology. So there's a, there's a pretty steep learning curve headed here for Ronnie Perkins. He's going to have an uphill battle, I would say, to play, A, because of all the veteran guys in front of him, but B, also just because of the the big position switch and terminology switch that he's going to have to undergo going from Oklahoma to the Patriots defense. Yeah, and I think we knew that at the draft that he was going to be a project, and he's probably a guy like Jennings was last year. I think you'll see him used like Jennings was last year, where he'll kind of get put on the back burner. We'll see him a little bit. We'll see him play special teams, but I think they have maybe a two- or three-year plan for him, and that may not involve him playing a ton as a rookie. And that's the benefit of some of the move, part of the benefit of some of the moves they made in the offseason. You know, last year Jennings was supposed to be a developmental guy, but they didn't have a ton of depth at the position, so they kind of right. had to throw him out there. Now you have Matt Judon. Now you have Kyle Van Noy. You have more depth at that position so you can develop Ronnie Perkins in the background and not ask him to play a huge role on game days. So do any of these guys, and maybe I guess you can throw Uche in this outside linebacker edge group too if you want, but when we look at the total snaps, let's assume a perfect world, which isn't going to happen, but let's assume a perfect world that nobody gets hurt, right? Is there any scenario that you can see where Matt Judon and Kyle Van Noy aren't the two top guys in snaps and percentage of playing time at the edge spots? If Josh Uche really wakes up. Yeah. If Josh Uche really wakes up, I could see him bending maybe Kyle Van Noy into more of a situational role. Or if or if for some reason that, you know, we've seen the Patriots, Dante Hightower, 90% of his career has been a middle linebacker. There's random years where they throw him on the edge a ton. Yeah. If this is one of those years. Then, although then again, I guess maybe that means you're putting Van Noy in the middle. So um, it would be tough. I think the best chances of that happening are, are Josh Uche just coming out of the gate absolutely on fire. And he's just playing so well that you can't take him off the field. Right. I think Matt Judon's like sharpied in to that spot. Judon, he's, he's the highest done. paid, highest paid defensive player in team history. He should be. The, yeah. 
their most used outside linebacker. He should probably be their most used linebacker. I would honestly, I honestly think he should probably end up playing more than Hightower in terms yeah. of total snaps. Right. Kyle Van Noy is the guy that maybe if you're Winovich or if you're Uche, like you said, or, or Jennings or Perkins or any of these guys, that that's the guy that you might want to target. But it seems like Judon is, is going to, unless he gets hurt, which hopefully he doesn't, is going to play an absolute ton of snaps. You don't pay a guy that kind of money and not, not play him, right? Not get your money's worth, if you will, out of that contract. Let's move off the line of scrimmage, inside linebackers. I guess we could do an entire show on how valuable Dante Hightower is, or at least like a 20-minute segment about all the different things that Dante Hightower uh, brings to the table. But just having him back, is it as big as advertised? Like, is this as big of a deal as we're making it? Because I think it's an absolutely massive deal. It's bigger. Yeah. It's bigger. They missed no single player more last year on the defensive side of the ball than Donta Hightower. There's only one player on the whole roster they missed more, and he happens to be the greatest player in the history of the sport. So, I it, it, and it's it's Not what to be he does. Hyperbolic or anything? No, I'm just saying. Am I? Is no, anything that just said incorrect? No, you're yeah. spot on. Hightower, it's what he does against the run. It's what he does as a pass rusher. It's what he does pre-snap to recognize, again, to kind of compare him to Brady. Brady's, you know, comment about the answers to the test. On the defensive side of the ball, Donta Hightower looks like a guy who has all the answers to the test before he gets to take it. He is, and and you, you have all this youth, and that was part of it last year. Youth isn't a bad thing, but you want to have some veterans around to help steer him in the right direction. Donta Hightower did that from a distance last year in terms of teaching guys how to be NFL players, how to be professionals. And guys have talked about how valuable of an asset he was. This year, he's there on the field working with them on a play-to-play basis. He completely, completely changes the tone of the defense. I don't think that there's a player on the defense that changes things as much as Donta Hightower does. Getting him back is absolutely, absolutely massive. Yeah, you know, I it's so tough because the top I, I'm doing my most important pads list and right. Gilmore, McCordy, and Hightower are all such three pillars of that defense. I I, I don't want to give away the entire list, so I'll 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 leave that. It was tough to rank those three guys. Let me put it to you that way. Like it was tough to stagger those three guys because all three of them, you can make a case, you know, especially when you add in the leadership qualities of guys like Devin and, and Dante Hightower. It's so hard to to encapsulate that in a statistic or in a piece of film or something like that. So all three of them are mighty important. And Hightower, I I think on top of everything else, I remember this play in 2018. It was a Patrick Chung play, uh, 2018 opener against the Pittsburgh Steelers. He made a big splash play behind the line of scrimmage. And I remember us asking him about it after the game in the locker room. And he said, well, Dante told me what was coming. Right, like, like he literally, or no, it was a, it was a pass breakup on third down. I, I can't remember. It was one of those, you know, Steeler tight ends over the years that they've had, right? And and he ran a little hitch route. I think it was Vance McDonald. He ran a little hitch route, and Chung jumped it and broke up the pass and got the defense off the field for a big stop. And after the game, everybody was like, you know, walk us through that play. And he he looked over at Hightower and he said, Dante told me that it was coming. He, he told me before the ball was snapped that he was going to run a hitch, <laughs> and he broke up the pass. And that those are the types of things you talked about, like you know the the pre snap stuff that that's what we're talking about with Dante Hightower that that's a great example of it right there actually coming to fruition on the field and Gerard Mayo spoke about it uh when we talked to the assistant coaches 
that it's basically like having a coach on the field. Like he's yep. a, he's basically a, a pseudo defensive coordinator, but he's actually between the lines and, and that's getting everybody in order, getting all the, all the troops in a row, making sure everybody's on the same page, communicating, checking this stuff when they have to, when they have to go through that chess match with the quarterback audibling and stuff like that just an absolute massive part of it. And I didn't even mention, and we didn't really even mention uh, the the physical things that he does on the field, right? The pass rushing ability, the run stopping ability, the physical presence and the tone setting that he does. So just so many different things, but I, I'm really excited to see Hightower back. I'm sure everybody is. He's not retiring. We, we can definitely say that. Huh. And uh, it's going to be a good year. I think uh, 2019 was a career year for him in a lot yeah. of metrics. So I, I think that he's somebody that's actually uh, aging like fine wine a little bit. And maybe this year off actually kind of preserved his body a little bit, got him rested up, got, got some of those nagging injuries that he's dealt with over his career cleaned up a little bit. So I'm looking forward to seeing Hightower back out there. Josh well, Uche. Okay. Uh, I was going to say, if, if you want to keep going in middle linebacker with Uche, that's right. But like talking about what's going on behind Hightower, I actually think is very interesting. Yeah, so let, let, let's talk about Uche, and then we're going to talk about some of those other guys as well. Okay. So I didn't know where to put Uche. I put him with the inside linebackers group because I think his base role is probably going to be at inside linebacker, and then he'll probably move on the line of scrimmage as a pass rusher. But we've... I've certainly hyped him up. A lot of people that were out there at minicamp really, really hyped up Josh Uche's minicamp performance. He was borderline unblockable in some of those yeah. drills. Now, there was no pads. So we'll see if that really continues into training camp when the pads go on. But his explosiveness off the line of scrimmage and his ability to turn the quarter and, and really wreak havoc on quarterbacks – he ate every tackle up that they threw his direction. Even Trent Brown had some problems with him, which is saying a lot, right? Yep. So uh, he was an absolute force in minicamp. The year two leap, how, how big of a year two leap are we really talking about here? We could be looking at a big one. I, you know, I think it depends on how they use him. And I, I was trying to figure out how to put this in actual football terms, and I can't really figure it out. You can probably do it better. You're better at the technical phrasing than I am. It's, it's almost, it almost feels like the defense is going to be a 3-4 with one middle linebacker and three outside linebackers. Yeah. Right. If that makes sense where Uche, like he might technically be in the middle because Judon and, and Van Noy are playing outside of him, but it feels like he'll play more like a like an outside linebacker than a middle linebacker. And if they kind of cut him loose as a pass rusher, yeah, I think you could look at an absolutely massive jump. I really hope they don't rein him in. I, I hope, you know, you have all these different spots you can play him and that's great. And that's definitely a part of his value, but I'd like to see them really play to his strengths and see if they can really tap into his ceiling. Right. So the Patriots, I think, call it something different. The the elephant was the Willie McGinnis role. That that's Matt Judon, right? He's the strong right. side outside linebacker. The, it's called a jack in a lot of systems. I, I don't remember. But isn't a jack more like what Adrian Phillips played last year? Sort of, but I, the most important. Or that's thing, Joker. Yeah. So a jack. Adrian Phillips played more like a money backer role, right? Right. The the, the jack role, which really is, and I, I think the Patriots also call, refer to it as a jack or something with a J. And, and basically, that, there's a Joker. I can't remember what it is, but there is a Joker. Yes, there is a jo Joker. Is usually a tight end on the other side of the ball, but a, there might be a defensive Joker too. Uh, there, no, I know there is. I just can't remember what it is. Okay, so maybe they call it Joker. I, something with a J. And basically what it is, it's 
an outside it's a hybrid it's an outside linebacker slash inside linebacker right and, and it's a role where you're going to play a little bit of both but you're kind of blurring the lines between those two positions and that i think is where uche is is probably going to be and he's going to be a player to me and and i'm sure he'll have reps where he drops into coverage plenty as well right I, i'm sure he'll probably be somewhere around 150 uh snaps in coverage if he plays as much as we think he's going to play but primarily this is a player that's allowed to attack the line of scrimmage right whether it's against the run or it's as a pass rusher in the interior blitz or, or even on the edge as an outside linebacker he is going to get after the football he's around the football he's attacking the football and they've used van noy in that role a little bit in the past uh they've certainly used jamie collins like that in the past you know guys like that that's probably what we're gonna see uche do for the most part and i really think that he could have an absolutely huge year or two leap where we really see it all come together for him but the one caveat i will give with this they said the same thing about him at Michigan for four years. He was one of those guys at Michigan. He got he did have some injury issues and he got banged up and that that throughout his career. He was competing for snaps with Winovich and Rashawn Gary and a lot of really good players in that linebacking corps. But every year in spring camp, fall camp, people at Michigan would hype up Josh Uche and he never really put it all together right he had all these flashes he had all these moments and then his last year at Michigan his senior season he had a pretty productive year but I I do you do have to base it off of the things that we saw at Michigan and what the story with with him at Michigan was very similar in the setup so hopefully it goes better and and he really does take that year two leap and he really does progress as a player because he has all the raw ability and talent in the world right he's he's an extremely athletic physical uh, marvel but they said the same thing about him at Michigan and in and in Ann Arbor and it never really completely came to fruition with him. And he was a player that coming in, uh, he wasn't in the, he's a year, a couple years younger, obviously than Chase Winovich, but people thought that he was the better player just based off of raw ability from Chase Winovich. But Chase Winovich was the the worker, the, the guy that was consistently out there all the time. And he had better production than, than, than uh, Uche. So I'm, I'm hoping that that doesn't happen with Uche and the pros, but uh, a lot of Michigan fans will tell you, we, we waited for the, the big leap from Ch- Josh Uche for years, right? You know, we waited right. for, that, that big splash from Josh Uche for years. You wanted to talk about the guys behind Hightower. I did real quick here because I looked it up because I knew I'd heard it before. J- Joker on the defensive side of the ball. Yes. This is what I found, and I think this is where I saw it. It's the Panthers' defense. I think I, I found this when I when they signed Cody Ely and when I was reading about Cody Ely. So that's why I, was, I had to brush some cobwebs off my brain because that would have been, what, four or five years ago? Anyway, yeah. uh, the Panthers use that term. It's a, it's a defensive player. Usually a defensive lineman doesn't have to be who is on the line of scrimmage standing up and is between two down linemen. So either between oh. the two ends or a tackle in an end. So they well, could use Josh Uche like that, actually. I, I may yeah, not I guess they kind of use like Hightower, like in those stunt schemes where they put him over yeah. the guard or over the center. Uh, Winovich certainly rushed. Yeah. I call it like an inline rusher, but I, I guess you could call it the Joker, too. You I know? guess that's that that's it. what it, at least what it was for the Panthers. I think this was a coaching I like staff, it. though. But, I'm um, going to use that moving forward. For whatever that's worth. So Let, let's talk about those backup, uh, I guess, backup mics, really, or backup yeah. uh, inside linebackers. Uh, Juwan Bentley. 
I think Jawan Bentley gets a lot of flack from Patriots fans because he is slow footed, right? He is a guy that's not great in space. He's not great in coverage, but when he's used in a very, very particular way, and it's some, it's a similar conversation, what we had all those years with the Landon Roberts too, right? Like when they're used as missiles attacking the line of scrimmage on first down against the run and just playing in the trenches and playing in the, in the mud, that they can be effective in that role. The second that you expand that role is where they start to look like they're in over their heads a little bit. And I think that's exactly, I don't think last year was Jawan Bentley's fault, right? Last year was a right. roster construction issue. The question just really is, is, is there, because every year there's a spot for this player for Bill Belichick. So I, I find it hard to believe that this year there is going to be any different, but a spot for a player that's, at most going to play probably 25% of the snaps on defense as a first down player. And I, I think with Bentley too, I'll just add, you know, a lot of people had the same critiques of Landon Roberts and they're yeah. similar players. And then Landon Roberts came out and he had a great year in his contract year. And then play fans were sad to see him go when he went to Miami. So I, I think Bentley can turn it around. That being said, now that they're switching to a three, four and you just have more natural coverage at the second level, I, I certainly think if they want Bentley, there's a spot for him. But at the same time, he's in a contract here. He's a guy who might have some trade value. And, you know, a guy like Therese Hall, right? I thought Therese Hall had a great year last year. I think he's a guy who maybe deserves a little more run. Raekwon uh, McMillan, too, a guy they signed. Hey, hey, no, I'm going to get to those guys, all right? You know, focus on Will you ask, you ask? Will you ask me if he has a spot? It's all It's all part of the answer. Fair enough, fair enough. Right? Yeah, so, I, the you know, next question was to bring up Raekwon McMillan okay. and Therese Hall and if they have a chance. So we can kind of mesh them all together. So, yeah, it, I mean, point. well, here's the thing. All three of those guys are not making the roster, I guess, is my right. way to answer. That's why I can't answer the question without one or the other. Sure. If they if they want Bentley, if they want that true downhill thumper, yeah, he's the guy. But at the same time, you have Hightower back. He can do that. And Chase Winovich might be able to do it, too. You also, if you look at Bentley's situation in a contract year, is he a guy they realistically would bring back next year when they have Cameron McGrone who's coming back. If Winovich succeeds as a, as a middle linebacker, he's the guy who can play that role. So, you know, I, I don't know. I don't think they'd release Bentley. I don't think they would. I don't think they'd let him walk for nothing. But, you know, if they're going through roster cutdowns and they're at 55, 56 players and somebody comes along and says, you know, here's a decent draft pick for Juwan Bentley, I, I think that that's something they would consider. Because, again, I really like what Therese Hall gave him last year. I really like the potential upside with Raekwon McMillan, a guy who maybe hasn't lived up to his draft hype, but has also been hampered by a torn ACL and is now kind of out of that recovery window. Right. Uh, I, I just look at those guys who I think are better fits for this new defense they're building, not necessarily last year's defense, but this new 3-4 defense they're building. And, again, I wonder if there is a significant enough role for Juwan Bentley where – he might be worth more in a trade to them than he is to keep. Somebody like I could definitely see Brian Flores in Miami wanting to to jump on Juwan Bentley. Well, right? he, he has a Landon Roberts. He does already have a Landon Roberts. I guess that's fair. But he needs two of those guys. But yeah, maybe, no, you're right. I don't Joe know. Judge you have to look for maybe the Giants with, with yeah. Joe Judge, like a Belichick disciple that that might want to have that similar type of player. But what I come back to is what I, I said when we started talking about Juwan Bentley is. I'm going to believe it when I see it that Bill Belichick's not going to have his 260 pound sledgehammer, right? Like, like I, I he always has that type of player. But isn't they that high? Always tower. have a Mike linebacker that can hit, that can hit somebody, right? That can right. that can pack a punch. Isn't that high tower? I guess I just 
it was always Hightower and they always had a Landon Roberts and it was always Hightower. True. And they, you know, you, they always, you seem to have somebody they behind two of them. them. Right. Yeah. That can really bring that heat. And I, I don't know. I, I feel like Bill Belichick is always loves those types of guys and it's tough to cut those types of guys. I know you're a big McMillan guy. Uh, I think Therese Hall has got a chance to make this team as well. Uh, Raekwon McMillan is somebody though that I really liked coming out of Ohio state. Also, I, I remember having yeah. him as someone I thought they might target in that draft. He ended up going, I think a little bit too high for them to pick him. Yeah, and early he, second round. Yeah. So he's got definitely a guy that's got a ton of upside that can play on all four downs. I think he definitely has a chance to make it probably some more experience certainly and more kind of raw athleticism and upside than a guy like a Therese Hall. So, so maybe he ends up uh, being sort of the fourth or the fifth guy. Uh, is Cam McGrone going to play this year? Probably not. I, I think we can right. kind of, they, they, they don't usually talk about injuries as openly as they did with McGrone during the draft. When they drafted McGrone, Belichick basically told us point blank that he was not going to play this year. So uh, you don't usually hear them talk about injuries that, that directly. Right, you know, acknowledging right. an injury like that. So, that, that, those are that kind of rounds out the linebacker group. Um, I'm really interested. No love for Harvey Longy. Oh yeah, we we can talk a little bit of Harvey. I, I think it's a great story. Like, I don't want to take away anything from him because battling back from that car accident that he had and and some of the setbacks that he had uh, to be on an NFL roster roster still is is really really impressive. I I, I just don't know. Like what? What does he bring to the table that these other guys don't? Besides, I guess maybe he did have some game experience with the Jets. Well, yeah, I but... mean he played he played fifty percent of the Jets' defensive snaps last yeah, year. He, he had played 60 a lot tackles. He's he's six four. Uh, sorry, six two two fifty. So if you want to talk about just that gap filler, that thumper, right? And he's maybe a little more fleet of foot than Bentley. He doesn't have the instincts Bentley does, but he's maybe a little more fleet of foot, or at least he was last time we saw him. I, I didn't watch a ton of him with the Jets, but. You know, and he has that, that special teams' yeah. ability too. So, I, I, again, I have him as the last guy on that list if we're talking about McMillan, if we're talking about Hall. I have him below them. But I think all of the linebackers, you know, would I, be, I, I wouldn't be shocked if, if any of these guys made the team. They won't all make it, but he wouldn't be the biggest surprise to make the roster. Bill Belichick loved him coming out. They remember they gave him that huge UDFA yep. contract. So I don't know. You know, he's someone that definitely has the versatility, right? He he came in as an edge rusher primarily. He played with the Jets as an off-ball linebacker. He plays in the kicking game. He's a Belichick type of player. I, I definitely could see them with Longy because I, I don't know how much – how many people are really knocking down the door? Uh, the other 31 teams trying to get Harvey Longy on their roster, unless he has a massive preseason and really flashes in the in the three preseason games, he's a perfect guy to stash on your practice squad. Because if some of these guys get hurt or they have to miss a game or two, he's got NFL game experience. He plays a bunch of different roles for you. He's got familiarity in your system. He's a perfect reserve type of practice squad type of guy to just have just in case. You know, Matt Judon and Kyle Van Noy are both hurt at the same time or, or something like that, and they have to get another linebacker up off the practice squad. He's a really good insurance policy to have. I just don't know if he's 53-man roster insurance policy. He might be more of like a spillover insurance policy. Why, let's talk about the cornerbacks. Um, we've talked a lot about Stephon Gilmore's holdout situation. I, I'm not really sure what else there is necessarily to add. I mean – Gilmore has made it very, very clear. He talked to Justina Anderson earlier in the week that 
he just wants to be paid what's fair, right? He just wants his market value. He's on the last year of his contract. I'm actually, I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but I am a little bit surprised with the amount of people that I get in on Twitter and on social media that are against Gilmore in, in this holdout, right? That are like, honor the contract. Uh, you, you signed the deal. You knew you were getting in the salary advance last year. He's more or less, and I, I think Bill Simmons coined this term of, pre-agency right like the year before he is a pre-agent right now so he's looking at it as my contract expires next year what am i doing after this year right it's not necessarily about this year it's about getting security beyond this year so i totally i'm really shocked at how many people are telling gilmore to just you know shut up and play for the seven million bucks right like i i know i shouldn't be but it it just it always surprises me when people are are against athletes getting their worth and and cashing in while they have the chance because they have they're a ticking time bomb right like their their career is eventually going to end a lot sooner uh, than yours or eyes or any other regular person's professional career is going to end yeah i we saw this when the sport all sports are trying to come back from the pandemic right and Players wanted, you know, certain working additions and the owners, and this was the thing before the pandemic, sports owners have done a marvelous job of somehow convincing the public that in any labor negotiation, the players are the bad guys, uh, you know, the millionaires versus the billionaires, whatever. So again, it's not surprising, but I, uh, yeah, no, Gilmore, Gilmore's worth more than he's getting paid. He, he's looking at this next potential contract. Let's say he were to play this season out for whatever money and play about how he played last season. He's probably looking at a 50 or $60 million contract on the other side of that. What that is per year, what that is guaranteed, how many years is a question, but you know, he's looking at 40, 50, $60 million. If he plays this year for seven and gets hurt, that all goes out the window. So basically what he's asking the Patriots to do at this point is just give him some incentive to play this year. So he's not risking 40, 50, $60 million when he steps out on the field. It's not an unreasonable request. The other thing is, Oh, the Patriots should just let him walk. They shouldn't let him play these games. Okay, go seven and nine. Enjoy watching your losing football team. Stephon, the Patriots need Stephon Gilmore more than Stephon Gilmore needs the Patriots. I've talked about this since the end of free agency, since the draft. They don't have enough outside corners. If Gilmore walks, when you face the Bills, one of your, you know, when one of your starting outside corners is is either Jawan Williams, Jalen Mills or Michael Jackson. And I'm not saying those guys can't be good players. I'm saying we don't know if they are. And I said the Bills. The Dolphins are week one. So when you go up against that receiving core. Yeah, you got Devontae Parker. You got Jalen Waddell. You got these guys coming out to you week one. Do you want want Juwan Williams on Devontae Parker week one? That's the question. Right. And and, and I know they have J.C. Jackson. We're going to get to him in a second too. Hang on, because somebody in the chat said, we saw the Patriots without Gilmore last year. They had Jason McCourty. If they still yeah. had Jason McCourty, it's another conversation. Jason McCourty played 65% of the Patriots' defensive snaps last year. He is gone. They didn't bring anybody else in that's a true outside corner. So that's 65% of snaps you have to replace in-house. And I just went through the in-house options. There is no Jason McCourty in those options. There is no sure thing in those options. You can like Juwan Williams' upside, and there is something to like there, but he's unproven. You don't know for sure, and you don't really have an insurance plan. The Patriots need Stephon Gilmore more than he needs the Patriots. Right. So I put up the stat on Twitter earlier today of the Patriots defense with and without Stephon Gilmore in 2020. And I know that there are some sort of caveats to this, right? First of all, 
much different front seven this year compared to last year. So that's going to make life easier on the secondary. I get all that. But last year with Stephon Gilmore, the Patriots allowed a passer rating of 80.2, which would have been top 10 if that had been the entire year. Without Stephon Gilmore, their passer rating climbed to over 100, right? So you're also seeing last year they gave up a touchdown rate of a TD every six point like five percentage of points of throws without with uh, Stefan Gilmore that dropped to three percent so this is a player that statistically makes a huge impact on this defense and furthermore when you watch the tape of the, this team you see and Devin McCourty said this in 2019 when Gilmore was having his defensive player of the year campaign it all starts with Steph and, and, and what he meant by that was when you watch the way that they play, they play so much single high man-to-man. They play more single high man-to-man than just about any team in the league. And if you're going to only play with one deep safety in the middle of the field, you are going to have to live with the fact that your outside corners are more or less on an island. You have post-safety help, but for the most part, you're one-on-one with your guy out there. And as we go through the gauntlet of the season, and starting in week one with Devontae Parker and Jalen Waddell, if you don't have a lockdown number one corner in that type of coverage system, your corners are going to get exposed. So, yeah, the Patriots can change the way that they play. Maybe they play a little bit more off-manner zone or too deep or something like that to mitigate the fact that Stephon Gilmore is not out there. But if they want to play their bread and butter, cover one robber with a one high safety, put yeah. another guy in the box to stop the run or uh, rush the passer or do whatever they want to do with them. You need to have somebody that can go ahead and take Stefan Diggs and take Devonte Parker and, and, and take whoever it is. And, you know, go down the list of their schedule and who they're going to be going up against with these number one receivers. Every team seems to have one of these guys that, that needs some extra attention or needs Stefan Gilmore. And if they don't have that, then their coverage system is blown up. Like they have to play a whole different style of football without that type of player. And my next sort of question to lead into this was about JC Jackson. And is he ready for CB1 status? Because if you think he's ready to take that next step, and last year in those five games without Stephon Gilmore, granted two of them were against Stephon Diggs, who ate everybody up. But even Brashad Perryman gave JC Jackson some problems, right? When they played the Jets that game. If J.C. Jackson's really just a very, very good number two, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? But if he's just a really good number two and not a true number one, and he has to become your number one, not only does the whole pecking order get out of whack, but now J.C. Jackson's playing above his his weight, right? So it, it just – is he ready for that? Is J.C. Jackson ready to be your, your, your number one lockdown guy? Because if he's not, then this Stephon Gilmore conversation, they should give Stephon Gilmore whatever he wants because right. th- th- this conversation's over at that. Yeah, I you know, I don't know the answer to that question. I think there's a chance J.C. Jackson could be a true number one, but I'll tell you this. I don't want to find out on the fly after spending $300 million in free agency. I want to know that that that, that my corners are ready. And, you know, Great the point. Patriots corner has been a strength for the Patriots for the last three or four years. They've had one of the best groups in the league. There's really been no questions about the position. You have Gilmore now. Jackson's in the last year of his contract. The window is closing on this cornerback group. That The position could end up being a mess starting next year. I would capitalize it with all the, these other signings. I think you capitalize on it while you have it. I think they pay Gilmore. And by the way, because somebody brought this up in the chat too, I, I think they still need to add an outside corner even if Gilmore comes back. Yeah, I still would like to see them add a veteran. They met with Trey Kirkpatrick in May. They didn't sign him. But 
again, e- even, you know, we're talking about all this, you know, if Gilmore leaves, is Jackson ready, whatever, they still are going to want to rotate Stephon Gilmore, even if he comes back. They rotate their corners to keep him fresh. It's part of what's made them so effective over the last couple of years. They still need a corner one way or the other. You look at, you know, how that situation changes with Stephon Gilmore, with removing him. Like you said, we saw last year. I think J.C. Jackson, I've used this analogy before. You look at it with, with baseball, right? They're starting pitchers. You know, number one starting pitchers, guys are at the front of your rotation, but then there's aces. Right. Every team has a number one pitcher, but there's maybe 10 aces. Is, so, so let's use this baseball analogy because I like it. Is Stefan is so Stefan Gilmore is Chris Sale. Stefan right? Gilmore's or, an ace. Oh, right. I wouldn't there, there's connotations there with injuries. Stefan Gilmore is you know, is, you know what I'm trying okay, to say. Okay, without injuries, yes. This is really good. Stefan Gilmore is Chris Sale. JC Jackson is Eduardo Rodriguez. Or Nate Valdi, yeah. No, no, no. I, well, I like Rodriguez because Rodriguez is young. Right. Okay. And by the way, is also a pending free agent, whereas sale has kind of some of the same issues Gilmore does. It's actually a really there's a similar right. conversation going on in the baseball world. Do you trust have you know, you've seen flashes from Eduardo Rodriguez where he can be an ace. You saw his 2019 season where he was a Cy Young candidate, but he hasn't done it consistently enough to be an ace. He's still just a number one starter. I don't know that J.C. Jackson's an ace. There's been flashes of it. I don't know that he's done it consistently where I'd pay him right now. Can he get to a spot where when his contract expires in March, he's worth paying like an ace? Yeah, I could absolutely see that being the case. But he's not an ace yet. Stephon Gilmore is an ace. The Patriots need an ace to run the defense the way they want to run it. Yeah. Uh, Did I just completely I, shoot down your point? I'm sorry. No, that's exactly what I, I was going with it too. We just crossed sports for the second time in the show though, which we're, we're not supposed to do, but that's that's perfectly fine with me. Uh, this is not Felger and Mass, so we, we can cross sports all we want. Uh, Jalen Mills, outside corner, safety, slot corner. Where I think he's a jack of all trades. Like I think that that's what Bill Belichick had in mind. The versatility is key with him. Uh, just quickly – how much does he end up playing at outside corner? Is that a problem that he's going to have to play a little bit at outside corner? Are you comfortable with him? Sort of Jason McCourty more or less did that. Like, because he played a little bit of outside. He played a little bit of safety this past year. Yeah. You know, he, he kind of transitioned into sort of that Jalen Mills type of role. Yeah. The, maybe in the role, the ratio is not right. Jason McCourty was probably, it was probably 70, 30 playing outside corner. With Mills, I'd like to flip that. And he's going to play some outside corner. Part of the reason they paid him as much as they paid him is the fact he can play so many different positions. He lined right. up at seven different spots for at least 40 snaps last year. That's more than any player in the league by a lot. You know, he was playing on the defensive line at times. They're going to move him all over the formation. But there's a reason he's playing so many spots. Because he was an outside corner in Philly and he couldn't stick. And he had a transition to safety. Uh, I, I think there are certainly spots where you play him at outside corner. If he's out there 40, 45% of the time, if he's your third outside corner, uh, that's probably a little too much. I'd like to see that down to probably, you know, 15, 20% of the time where he's your fourth outside corner, where he's behind Joan Williams. He's behind Michael Jackson, a free agent, whoever it is. Uh, so I'm not totally opposed to him playing outside corner, but I don't think he's a fit. You know, he's, he's, he's at his best when he's playing safety. So if you're going to pay him the money you paid him and then play him at outside corner, you're just not maximizing on your investment. I, I think the best role for him where he they're going to get the most value out of him, where he's going to be the best player is if he's spending most of his time, either deep safety or box safety, because he's good at both. 
Yeah. I don't know the corner's the answer with him. Yeah, I agree. You know, somewhere he's he does play like eight different positions. That was kind of the allure of him coming over, and he has that versatility. But box, safety, slots, defender, a little bit of deep. That was his best role. That's where he should play. Unless th- it kind of looks like a bad contract, honestly. If if they have to kick kick him out to outside corner be, out of necessity, it's not that he's a bad player. It's just not where he fits. Right and at that point, they should just sign a true outside corner. Right. Exactly. All right. Uh, really quickly, rapid fire through these couple because we got to get a uh, sign off here. Uh, Miles Bryant. Any chance he pushes John Jones for the slot corner? I, I don't. I don't think so. But I, I like Miles Bryant. I, I think he had really good tape last year for a UDFA. Is there a role for him? Can he push John Jones? What, what do you think about that one? There's absolutely a role. I think there's an important role. I don't know that he pushes Jones. And by the way, that three-year, twenty-one million dollar extension the Patriots signed Jones to might Deal. be one of the best in-season extensions yeah. Belichick's ever signed. That's yeah. a fantastic contract. contract. Jones is excellent, but. Miles Bryant's going to be the backup slot corner, and he's going to play some deep safety. They don't have a true second deep safety right now to play next to Devin McCourty. We saw Miles Bryant play in that role a bit at the end of the year. He was good out there, uh, and he even played a little box safety at his size, and he, he wasn't awful at it. You know, you'd think a guy his size playing in the box would get bullied around, but he held his own. Uh, I think Bryant can eventually take over for Jones. It's not this year but he's going to be a guy who they can plug in all around the secondary. I think he makes the team, and I absolutely think he plays a key role this year. Yeah, absolutely. Kyle Duggar, as big of a leap as Josh Uche, because I think he's going to have a massive leap as well, playing that hybrid box role where he's kind of that money backer. I I, I love Kyle Duggar. I think he's going to be an attacking player. I think he's going to hunt the football. He's talked a lot about studying Rodney Harrison, Troy Polamalu, some of these guys that were natural ball hawks, right? Guys that just hunted the football, roamed around the defense, used their instincts to fly around. I really hope that they kind of take the training wheels off of Kyle Duggar this year and just sort of let him do his thing because that at Lionel Ryan, that's exactly what he was able to do, right? They didn't really pigeonhole him like you have to play this position, you have to play this role. They sort of let him do a little bit of everything and chase the football. That I think is going to be his most effective role and something the Patriots have really missed is sort of that sideline to sideline roaming guy in the middle of the field who has that presence and that both the physical and athleticism to do that in space. I think he's going to have a monster year uh, as well. I, 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 I go back and forth of which one I'm, I think is going to have a bigger year, Uche or Duggar. I think both of those guys are going to play really well. Uh, but what, what's your outlook on Kyle Duggar? How, you know, do you think he's going to make a big leap as well? Yeah, I think so. A lot of what you just said you know, is true. He, he showed last year how quick of a learner he can be, and that's going to continue this year. And I think you'll see the instincts improve as good as they were last year. You know, Just the more – the more snaps he gets, the the finer tuned his instincts are going to be. The other thing, and I said this a couple weeks ago, I don't think they're going to do it a ton, but I'm excited to see what he is as a pass rusher this year. And you mentioned him studying Rodney Harrison, right? The first right. member of the 30-30 club, 30-30 yeah. sacks. I, I wonder if that's going to be their trump card play this year, where we won't see it a ton, but when they need a play, when they really need a play, you dial up the Kyle Duggar blitz. We saw him do it, a, like I think, two or three times last year, and you could tell he made an impact. It's obviously not going to be the main part of his game. You know, I I don't want this to come across as me saying Kyle Duggar should be one of their top pass rushers. But, you know, I think he's a guy that they can throw in little wrinkles that they don't use a lot, but they use effectively. I love those kinds of plays. And I think the Kyle Duggar blitz can be one of them. 
Yeah, heat-seeking missile, right? Just just yeah. go get the football, wherever it is, whether it's a pass in the air and you're going to get it as a ball hawk or you're hitting somebody to go get the football against the run. I just want to see Kyle Duggar's eyes on the ball all the time. Don't worry about everybody else. Worry about the football. Turn the ball over. Make those big impact plays. Yeah. It does kind of feel like with Mills and Duggar in the mix – uh, Adrian Phillips, does he, you know, I think he's still going to make the team. I still think he's going to be on the team. He had a great year last year for them. So I doubt that he's going to be a cut candidate, but it does feel like they have a lot of bodies at that spot and they are going to want, they just paid Jalen Mills. They obviously are going to want to give a ton of playing time to Kyle Duggar. Yeah. I, I mean, with Phillips too, though, I, I wonder if there's some natural growth for him, just second year in the system a full offseason, yeah. all of that. He's what, 29, 30 years old, something like that. But he's a guy, I think he could improve a little bit. I think they didn't add a ton at safety, right? They added Jalen Phillips. That was the big addition. And by the way, uh, Phillips is 29. Um, Yeah. They didn't add a ton at safety, but between Duggar having another year of experience under his belt, between Phillips having another year in the system, Miles Bryant having a year in the system, I just think there's a ton of room for natural growth at this position, which is what's exciting. I think even with minimal additions, and they lost Patrick Chung, even though they didn't have him last year, I think the safety position is going to be better just because guys are going to be more comfortable, more familiar with their assignments, all of that. And that that's Phillips is honestly the first guy when it comes to mind for me is he was doing something new last year. He was doing something he never really done. I know he's 29, but in some ways it had to have been a rookie like experience for him. Now he's got a year of it under his belt and that's exciting. Okay. I'll give you 10 seconds, literally 10 seconds to tell me why Adrian Colbert is going to make the Patriots roster go. Yeah. I, I like Colbert. I, they need another deep safety. They needed somebody to fill Deron Harmon's role, and he's not a player. He can play deep, but he's not like Deron Harmon. He can lay the lumber, which they seem to be kind of bringing in with their safeties. They want guys who can stick, and and Colbert can stick. So I, he was the last guy off my roster projection that hurt. I want him to make the team. I think he should make the team. We'll have to see how he does it. But if he does make the team, there is a role waiting for him that he can fill and make them a better football team. All right, so that's our defensive preview right there. We just went through the basically the entire defensive roster. I, I hope I, I don't know if we got to every single player under contract, but we were pretty darn close on the defensive side of the ball. So on the Thursday show, we're going to do a live Q&A. We'll take your questions so you can come back Thursday for that show. And then next Tuesday, we'll do the offensive side of the ball, and we'll do the exact same thing that we just did and run through the entire offense. But until then, signing off for Alex Barth, I'm Evan Lazar. Thanks for watching, everybody.